0: Welcome to the Plus 6 Podcast, my name is Pete and I go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Welcome to a man you know on Twitter as Jeopardy DT and straight from Optus Stadium, he went to see the Eagles for his first game of the year. Jeopardy DT, welcome to the show, Jepp. Thanks, Pete. It was a tough watch, let me tell you. Eagles are 0-3 to start the season, obviously man, monster injuries over pre-season and some COVID-related issues to start the season as well, but yeah, not ideal for on that, but going to the footy is, is a good experience to uh, have again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The young fella loves it and, um, you know, get out, out and about in Perth is, is not a bad thing.
0: Alrighty, let's get into this podcast. Paying up for premium scoring players is certainly no guarantee and that's what we meant, witnessed last week, Jeff.
1: Yeah, look, I I'm, almost fell victim. I almost was trying to look at Petrarca and he failed and, yeah, a lot of premium mids failed last week, so it's always about the long game, though, and um, and you've, you know you're locking in the players that you believe are the top eight mids, top six defenders and forwards, etc.
0: There were certainly a couple of tags placed on last week and a couple of cooler rolls going around. It certainly did impact those premium players. Yep.
1: Yeah, for sure, um, and a lot of popular players too. So it'll be interesting how the season pans out. Um, interestingly, North Melbourne and West Coast both removed their tags after half time. So. Hopefully that's
0: a good deterrent for the rest of the year. Targeting unique VC options, vice-captain options, is certainly one way to separate your team from others, Jip.
1: Yeah, look, and, and not necessarily unique, but we need to play the VC game, don't we? So um, Butters was one probably I looked at last week as a bit of a unique, but then, you know, you, you get pulled back into into the realms of, of reality and who's going to score well. Um, but we definitely need to play this VC loophole a lot more because of you know what happened last week with so many failed premiums.
0: Yeah, I was looking for a unique option last week and I have Josh Dunkley and Jack McRae in my team. So I was I even have Isaac Henney in that team. So that game was on the Thursday night and I had the VC on Henney for a while and I thought, oh, you know, I might go a little bit unique onto Dunkley and then basically towards the end, just before the game started, I go actually, you know, I'll just stick with a safe, safe model. And I went to Jack McRae, and that was a disaster because then I then I was forced to make a decision. Um, I had Lockie Neal, who was potentially going to get a tag, but it was in no way known I was putting a captain on Lockie Neal for the week. Then I had Darcy Parish, and I thought, well, up against Melbourne's strong midfield team, I don't really want to go there. And then, obviously, um, I had Patrick Cripps, then I thought, you know, actually, I'll just go straight Patrick Cripps, and I thought, no, that's great. And I looked at the weather, it was a little bit rainy there as well, and I thought, I ah, don't know. So uh, getting off Josh Dunkley and going onto Jack McRae forced me onto making a Patrick Cripps decision for the captain, which I liked. And at the last minute, I changed my mind again, and I went to Darcy Parish for the captain. So oh, a couple of decisions then, you, you cost yourself 50, 60 points there, and then just all of a sudden that starts to build up over a couple of weeks. And you know, th- These are the decisions that everyone is going to be faced with. So for me, I should have just gone and stuck with it. I mean, it could have been Heaney's there as well, but you know, I had Dunkley in there, and if I had, I had Dunkley. It would have been a much better week for me. So you would come across that issue as well, and obviously, uh, listeners, what it was about, Jeff.
1: Yeah, look, it's those fifty fifty calls right now that feel like they're really costly but they're actually not. It's you know, fifty points here, fifty points there adds up over over twenty two rounds for sure, but you know, still play the odds and, and, and plan ahead like we always say, especially with the captains. I think I'm one that's that's guilty of looking at the captains at the end of the week, um and not the start of the week with with trades. So um, looking ahead and, and, and planning that is, is really important.
0: Identifying which players will also provide a point of difference for coaches that do their research in that particular area, Chip.
1: Oh, absolutely, no doubt. You know, it's the same with anything. So um, <clears throat> we haven't had too many that are, are, are PODs, I might add, um, to start the year. But, um, you know, as the season goes on, there's – different ways to skin a cat so to speak and, and and more will come to fruition. But um yeah it, it's it's definitely advantageous to not always follow the pack and um and you know sometimes it is and we'll talk about proceed in a sec.
0: The key to timing trades for those players that we started under three hundred K will be critical jet.
1: Oh absolutely cash generation is probably the most important thing in the early rounds um again we play the long game we need the cash to up, make the upgrades so um if you're not generating cash and um you are been a star mate there that's going to burn you. it might not burn you now and you might be sitting pretty but you know come around eight nine ten eleven you're going to be struggling
0: couple of key pointers here for me on that point jeff Is one, 2020 and 2021, these bottom age players that are in our teams now, they played very little footy, especially those on the East Coast. So keep that in mind. So the other one there as well is that some of these players could be up for a rest. So you've got to obviously keep up to date on the news. And if there's any inkling a certain player is going to get a rest, you might want to target that player. Even if there's a little bit, little bit more cash to 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 be made, you might want to target that player out of your team first, you know, because obviously, if a popular player that is sitting on teams, sitting in teams that is on the field for most most of them, most of us, is that you know, that could be a bit of a point of difference if you've already traded that per, player out. But it could also hurt you if the the reverse happens there as well. So really, got to be keep in mind that type of scenario, Jeff.
1: Yeah, and the vest the vested games scare me even more because <clears throat> it significantly starmates the cash generation process, doesn't it? So, I'd rather a full week off on on the pine or on you know in recovering not playing at all than the vested games. So yeah, look, Horn Francis is one, uh, Rochelli the, these are all the Victorian kids. Dacos pr- looks in a bit of a league of his own, but Josh Ward, you know, playing inside mid a lot more now. He he'll be due for arrest as well, so it's just about the timing of pulling the trigger. Um, he, you know, sacrificing potential twenty grand earnings for um, for a week is not the end of the world. Um, not saying trade him this week, but I'm definitely just saying look ahead because, as you mentioned, these young bodies um, they'll hit a wall pretty soon.
0: And, and that's why it's really important there as well, is that, you know, for when you and I think about this a lot with regards to players to target on a weekly basis of, for players under 300k, is, you know, you might, the sugar, the, that's the topic of the conversation in, in the AFL at the moment, it's the quick sugar hit. So yeah, a player might be in for one week, but you really got to project out to see if they're strong in their best 22 over a certain period of time. And Fremantle's in that scenario as well. Is that you know once you've got players sidelined so with injury or in health and safety protocols as well, if a certain player gets um, time in that midfield, um, that's great. But you really got to f- think about what's going to come back into that team. Now, j- just on that, I think Erasmus is good, and I think he's solid in that team. But we, you know, that still puts him at risk of being put out of that team based on players coming back in, and that's not just for Fremantle. That's every other team. So tar- targeting certain type of players. You know, just for that one week sugar hit where you think, you know, you know, there could be a 50 or 60 there and we make all of a sudden, you know, 30, 40 grand potentially in your team, you know, and it might be just that one week and then all of a sudden over the next three, four, five, six, seven weeks, you've got to still find a facilitator to to get that player out to get someone else in and not necessarily do you want to take a player out that's only earning, earning you just, you know, potentially 30 grand yet.
1: Yeah, that yeah, it's it's like I said, pulling, timing and pulling the trigger, um, and it's a week by week proposition. But um, let's just highlight now that you probably trade out the Victorian kids first because they had less of a development year and less games last year, so they're physically less adapt. But obviously, Horn Francis is a bit of a man child. Dick Dacos, again in a league of his own. But um, one I'll probably look to trade in the coming weeks is Josh Ward first above the the main three. Just, um, you know, the Hawthorne aren't lacking inside mids and, and they'll need to protect him a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'm a little bit opposed to that because obviously uh, Josh Ward was the highest uh, midfielder used in those center bounces against Carlton on Sunday. And the best part about Josh Ward on Sunday was when Hawthorne made that comeback, he was a significant part in those in that midfield for the Hawks. So I'm a little bit opposed to that. I understand the rest scenario, but I also think of the role that he's playing, the scoring opportunities. And we know for, throughout pre-season that he can score. So yeah, he could get that rest, but you know that's one player that I would be sort of... You want to go early on him? I actually would start to push him to one of the last players out of my team, so just to hold on and a hold on and a hold on. Just basically based on his role and, and his scoring output when he is in the middle. But yeah, the Hawks have a significant amount of players going through that midfield, and you know, and things up for grabs. And you know, Robert Harvey spoke on radio this morning, and, and it was like it's a big spread, and they want to settle that down a little bit. You know, you just got to think of where Josh Ward sits in that rotation. But I still think it's quite strong at the moment. So yeah, certainly there. All right. So the next one, planning trades well ahead of time will play a big part in this season for top-ranked teams, Chip.
1: Oh, for sure. It always does and, it has, and always will, um, especially with – we haven't had really any curbles yet with the laid-outs. So um, I'm very conscious of, of holding a trade or planning the trades according to the fixture for the round. Um, and what my backup plans are.
0: Yeah, it's a good reminder. I'd already planned out my trades, but yeah, just threw that reminder back into me is that don't get too comfortable. We cannot get too comfortable here, especially this year. So, and that's the exciting part about it. Well, not really if laid out, but it's really exciting that, you know, you can find a point of difference based on holding a trade or based on going somewhere else with regards to news breaking late because, you know, other players and coaches have already locked in their trades for the week. You know, especially if that breaks on a... a, um, a Friday, and last week we saw West Coast and Fremantle didn't name their teams until Saturday, so some people have their trades until very late, and especially on to the Saturday going into the Sunday. Alrighty, we are talking AFL Fantasy Season Long Classic Mode. This discussion is pre-round four. This podcast has been recorded on Tuesday night, April 5, and of course the news has been crushed out for you on AFL Ratings Network. The content is free. Likes and retweets are always appreciated. Again, make necessary adjustments as news comes to hand, and that's stock standard uh, throughout this podcast since we began way back when. All right, just some couple of data points I'm going to hit on here, Jep. So I'm just going to roll you through some early season uh, data points from a couple of teams and just you know hit back on if something comes to mind based on any players with regards to some team stats. Alright, so North Melbourne a minus 9.3 inside 50 differential, so that's ranked 18th. So it's probably kind of expected for Kangaroos, and that sort of puts in, in line Aaron Hall type decision um, with regards to defence. And you know, last week, last year when the, the Kangaroos were considering a stack of inside 50s, he was hitting our ceiling game, so that starts to put the, uh, in that scenario again that he could start to hit some ceiling games. But North Melbourne on the weekend, they were horrible. Like David Noble in that press conference, he actually he lost a gasket. So yeah, you know, you just got to, you know, the kangaroos is in a rebuild mode, and you know they did choose um, Josh Goder and Miller Bergman throughout that draft, and they're half-back flankers, so you've just got to keep in mind with regards to Aaron Hall, could we see a transition later in the year to some of these younger type players, so that's always in the back of my mind with Hall this year but you know, minus 9, 9.3 inside 50 differential, that puts Aaron Hall still in games right in play doesn't matter about his score on the weekend, were just which is actually just horrible So but you know, minus 9.3 that's a lot of inside 50s they need to defend that means the ball's got to come back outside the 50, and that is Aaron Hall's zone right there. And then already, next one Essendon on West Coast a minus 9.0 inside 50 differential. So that brings in players like Luke Foley, and you know, a couple of Eagles players are scoring well on defense there as well. And they're ranked equal 16th. Already, let's get on to efficient ball movement. So this Gold Coast This is a big change from last year for Gold Coast. They are now ranked one, number one, 5.7 disposals per inside 50. So they're flying that ball. So it's not necessarily the the players the speed is that they're you know, getting that ball inside 50 as quickly as possible. Now, the Gold Coast are actually poor early against GWS. They're actually really poor co- compared to what they put up early in the season. So let's see if they respond uh, in the next couple of weeks for the Suns. But it's a big change from where Gold Coast were last year hanging on to the ball. Now, one player that one or two players that sort of brings into the scenario is that you've got Matt Riel, who's highly owned in this top 25, and we'll talk about ownership in a minute. And Took Miller, who was tagged on the weekend by Lockie Ash, and just on on the weekend is that Locky Ash went into that midfield to tag took Miller, and there was a tag team. Miller was was not let off the hook all day, so therefore Leon Cameron made the decision that, to zip out as Stephen Cannellio out of the centre bounces. So, Lockie Ash going in actually impacted Stephen Kinley. So, it's really interesting the dynamic, especially for the midfield, for the Giants. But let's get back onto the Gold Coast. A big shift in their ball movement from last year to this year, more efficient. So, there's that sort of, you know, people start to get a little bit of an uneasy feeling about Matt Real. I still don't because I still still think the role is still there and it's really heavy in that midfield. And that's all we can ask for. So, uh, let's see how that goes. But, you know, that might put some ideas in some minds of fantasy coaches. If the Gold Coast aren't hanging onto the ball, then what does that do? To Matt Rale over a long period of time, especially when he's highly owned in that top 25, which actually would correlate in, into you know a, a lot of highly owned coaches in you know top 1000, top 2000. Already next one Brisbane 6.1. This is no change from last year. They were the most efficient, so they're right there there again, right about the same amount of um, disposals per inside 50. Melbourne 6.5. They were strong last year and they're strong in that situation again. Now let's get on to the other end of it. This is where the disposals are. This is where the disposals are, and this is where we can get some, you know, fantasy goodness out of some of these players. Is it Adelaide 7.7? So this is a really slow ball movement, and the conversation coming out of Adelaide the last couple of weeks was actually quite surprised me because as I've said to you over the preseason podcast, Jep is that teams are going to a fish and ball movement and coming out of Matthew Nick's mouth, coming out of other assistant coaches' mouths, is they wanted to slow the ball down from where they were last year because they thought they were going too fast. So all of a sudden that brings into, you know, if they want to slow down the ball movement and we, again, it's not us trying to decide what coaches are going to do. We've got to listen and to tell us what and, and listen to what coaches are trying to tell us and, you know, put our fantasy minds into, into the thought process and see what we can get out of it. So if the Crows want to slow down this ball movement, that brings in your Jordan Dawson, who was highly targeted last week. It brings in your Rory Laird, who would have no ownership whatsoever. Ben Keys is in there as well, and Matt Crouch is still obviously right in there. So if they want to slow down their ball movement, that's kind of good for Adelaide players and targeting those. Now, the one thing that you and I talked about big, and this was the one thing we were both big on over pre-season, is Carlton, is that the pre-season discussion for Michael Voss and all the assistant coaches was about stopping structure. It was about contested ball. It was about changing it. And the one thing that we worked out over the pre-season, you and I, is that for Port Adelaide last year under Michael Voss, were really strong in that midfield. We could sort of see that happening with regards to Carlton. And therefore that turned into Patrick Cripps, Sam Walsh, Adam Chera, George Hewitt, and that's exactly the way it played out. So I'm actually pretty proud that we actually identified that over preseason, and that is exactly the way it's played out. But you know what? Carlton are ranked number one in contested position differential, plus 23, they are smashing it. And not only that, Carlton are ranked number one at 398.7 disposals per game, and, you know, when teams are going to efficient fish and ball movement, if, if you've got a team averaging near 400 disposals in this day and age in the AFL, is actually really good. So uh, plenty more goodness to come from current players. And the last one here is that, Geelong used to be slow ball movement. Now, I've got the inkling over pre-season that they wanted to change as well, which is kind of big for Geelong because their list demographic doesn't go into, you know, fast ball movement with their older demographic, as I said. So, you know, at uncontested marks, Geelong at 66.7, which is really low. So that means that they're not just hanging, hanging on to the yeah. ball, chipping it around and a half-back, and Tom Stewart gets some marks, Beach Duncan gets some marks. That they're really low. They're moving the ball as quickly as possible. Now, we've really got to think about that game on the weekend against Collingwood. Is it, you know, uh, the pie smash the catch in the third quarter. They actually just really smash them. And then come three-quarter time, Geelong flipped that game on its head And they go, what? we've just got to go. So it was just straight through the corridor. So Geelong didn't even have an opportunity to take uncontested marks. It was straight through the corridor and move that ball ASAP. Therefore, the uncontested marks were reduced. So therefore, if Geelong really got an opportunity to play through that middle of the ground, you know, those uncontested marks are just not going to be there this year. That's a stack of information across the board with regards to some data points, Jeb. You tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, it's the Adelaide one. Um, Dawson comes to mind. Um, certain teams and, and Carton obviously Cripps is just playing amazing footy, um, fantasy aside and then he's just hitting every stat line. So we we prefer the inside balls and the and the contested ball players, um, the inside mids that is. So, you know, identifying those in different lines and, and it's interesting with um Geelong actually speeding up and, and not holding onto the ball and, as much. And maybe that's going to cause some volatile scoring. And you flagged that last week with just the change through the midfield and, and on a week-to-week basis how Geelong was going to play. So a lot of really inf- value inform- valuable information out of that. And, um, yeah, it helps picking your primos. Um, a lot of us get, you know, um, Short-sighted with this sort of stuff, and, and we forget it's a long game. And and picking the players has to suit, you know, if you're going to pick a crips or if you've already got a crips. But if you if you're one a non-owner like myself looking to bring him in, I look at what how Carlton are playing, what the game style is, and is it going to stack up for 22 rounds and or from here on in? So, and I believe it will. So yeah, really value the information.
0: Yeah, and also in Geelong, don't forget I said a lot on last week's pod is that. Chris Scott and other assistant coaches have been saying is that, you know, they're not going to roll out, they're saying 22 each week, so therefore, you know, there's going to be rotation of healthy players in and out of that team because they don't really want to get in a situation where at round six, round seven, round eight, they need five players for a rest because they've gone too much into their, their their tank or the well, so to speak, you know, they're just going to rotate players in and out of that team when they're healthy, so, you know. Geelong players, you know, everyone knows that West Coast are and female and players, I'm out, but Geelong players, I'm pretty much going to slot in there as well for just being out because they could be just rotated at, at any stage of the season, which would hurt, especially if you're relying on any particular player to score well. All right, Jeff, let's get on to some ownership here. So it's round three ownership, and it's the top 25. So it's, we're going to look at uh, players that are 20% or higher owned. So let's get it stuck into it. So it's the ruck situation. So Braden Pruce. He's at 80% in that top 25, so I would imagine most of those um, coaches started with Proust in their squad, if not traded in him last week and made some moves around other areas of their ground. So that's pretty much covers it anyway. But 80% is really significant. That's quite high. Brody Grundy 72%, which is interesting. You know that everyone's holding on Grundy just for the time being. Tim English 48%. He was pretty much the one to start with at round one. Um, I didn't do it. Uh, the, the conversation out of the Bulldogs late in preseason was that they wanted to be the clear number one. And Stefan Martin's situation again made that really difficult. But obviously the, the clear messaging just before round one was that he was going to be the number one. And his scores have been exceptional. You know, he's going behind that ball and he's becoming almost a half-back flanker as well. And, and Luke Beveridge did talk about him in press conferences with regards to, you know, he's that he's that extra midfielder. He's playing that behind the ball, in the set mark type game. And it's actually fantastic for English. It doesn't have to be high hit outs. It, because it just needs to win plenty of ball. And when he's accumulating 23, 24, you know, 25 disposers, whatever it is per game at the moment, you know, his scores are going to be elite. And the other one there, so English is at 48% and max scoring at 16%. Your thoughts on any one of those, Chip?
1: Yeah, really like English. Um, I feel like, again, not the highest of ownerships there, even though you just mentioned 46% in the top 25. But even still, you, wow. you know, you're playing the long game. You're looking at it. Long term, um, yeah, really like that pick, and um, you know he's on my watch list for sure. But oh, the eighty percent for Proust, isn't that interesting? Like, yeah, it's it's really really high, but it's it's also um, sort of dictative of how how quickly things change in, at these early rounds, doesn't it? Because if Bruce scores a, a fifty or sixty, that that obviously flips it. So yeah, really really interesting.
0: Let's get on to the defenders. So, George Hilt, 100%, Jaden Short, strong, 96%, Lockie Whitfield, 92%, James Sicily, 84%, Paddy McCartan, 44%, Jordan Dawson, 40%, Jack Crispert, 32%, Luke Foley, 20%. Thoughts on any one of those, Jeb? Yeah,
1: the, I think there's a 44% coaches nervous having McCartan at D6, so expecting that to change again for the, for the next week quite significantly.
0: Okay, on to the mid. So, Nick Dakos, 100% strong, Patrick Cripps. Monster Starter says ninety two percent, Matt rail eighty eight percent, Lockie Neal eighty four percent, Andrew Bracewell seventy six percent, Jason Horn Francis sixty-eight percent, Matt Crouch fifty two percent, Josh Ward forty eight percent, Jack McCrae forty four percent, Josh Kelly twenty eight percent, Pat Lipinski twenty four percent, and just a reminder these are the players that are on ground, so these are not including bench players, uh these are on ground for last week. Jet thoughts?
1: No, nothing Nothing comes to mind
0: there. Um, all pretty standard within the midfield, I would have thought. All right, on the forward line here. Josh Dunkley, 100%. Zach Butters, 96%. Stephen Canelio, uh, 92%. Tristan Cherry, 88%. Will Brody, 80%. Nick Martin, 60%. And Isaac Henney, 44%. Thought Strip...
1: Those top six are exactly my starting forward, so that's quite funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. So, and, and you and I did talk about pre pod. Uh, I did say that, you know, based on the, the top 25 ownership, I, like I've got 80 to 84% of players in that top 25, so it's really interesting. Which is, it's really tight at the start of the season with regards to um, where everyone is in overall contention, so you know. How much movement can you have throughout the year? And obviously we talked about the, the buy structure, and how important it was to get uh, that in, that right to you know provide a difference between your team and other teams over that period of the year. And then you included into the conversation, you know, picking out those point of difference players in the second half of the year, towards the end of the year, to really come home strong. Thoughts there, Jip?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm big on that. I, I don't mind following the pack at the early start. You, you know, assuming the player I like is, is ticking all the boxes but just because he's highly owned that does not mean I don't pick him um, it's yeah I get creative pretty much around the buy rounds and, and after that
0: yeah it's interesting the wall I'm just facing a wall of ownership I'm a bit behind at the moment but uh, you know I've, most of my players are in these highly owned uh, teams at the top of the leaderboard so I'm just got to face a wall of ownership uh, and how to overcome that throughout the years there's going to be some pretty in inventive thinking but you know just for me at the moment as you said I'm just happy to just to hang on for the period of time and just make some moves over the buy period and towards the end of the year to, to find that point of difference to get back into contention. Alrighty let's get on to who are your three targets for round four assuming you don't own any
1: <coughs> Alright so I, again I do a, a primo a mid-pricer and a rook um, so yeah Patrick Cripps is, I don't own him and um Probably one of my biggest mistakes to start the year, but that's okay. I still feel like it's not too late um, to to, to jump on, so the non-owners should should definitely look at that. The mid-pricer I like this week is Bowie. Um, I was a bit hesitant to go in last week just because I didn't know how hungry he was for the footy. Um, but, yeah, no, he seems really active and um, really keen to have the footing in his hands a lot. So that's still a play as well. Um, and then young Reece McGuinness is um, from Collingwood. Played the Macquarie role, as I thought he would. I, I tweeted that out during during the week just before the full lockout happens. And, um, yeah, he, he added a lot of value and obviously comes up against a depleted West Coast side this weekend. So, Um, So expect some pretty good scores in the short term from McGuinness.
0: Yeah, for me, Tom Green, uh, his start of the season has been immense. Obviously, with Hopper sideline, that he's going to see a significant amount of midfield usage. And he's just a contestable. So there's one, Braden Pruce. I just think, um, you know, in round two against Richmond, you know, Matt Flynn was just pushed aside and, you know, Proust comes in last week against uh, Jared Witts, who's a you know, pretty, you know, highly touted Ruckman, he's strong-bodied in that, and Bruce just had his way with him. So listening to Leon Cameron in that press conference, you know, the Giants have started one and two at the start of the year, so they need to get back in front of the uh, the win-loss column. So, you know, he mentioned about a four-week scenario, and he mentioned about, you know, we'll find out over the next four weeks. And I think at the, over that period of time, that is Braden Proust's time. I'd, look, Matt Flynn can come, be, come back in and share some ruck duties and I still think Proust's scoring rate would be still pretty solid but I still think right now, based on what we have seen throughout uh, last week is that Braden Proust, that is number one and that should be clear number one I'm not disputing that Flynn could come in for a bit of a chop out The other thing was was interest, interesting there from Leon Cameron is that it, he said that Proust was a little bit interrupted through the preseason. So they just wanted to give him a little bit more of a run last week, and that was a, like to get up his fitness. So that's just one thing you got to keep in mind there as well. Is that you know he just got to the lock. like obviously he was suspended in round one, and you know I would have started with him in round one if he wasn't suspended. But you know last week he had the opportunity to come back in, and he was still so on. And Cameron comes up and says pretty much. You know, we wanted to give him another run to build up his, his fitness. So keep that in mind with regards to your pre-selection. I love the peak, and I think it's his time over the next four weeks. And at the worst-case scenario, that's pretty much all you need. He he should have hit a pretty high salary there, so then you can make a decision based on what you want to do with him, just in case we have to make a decision. And the other one there is Sam Doherty. Um, obviously, Saad was out of that team last week as well, but Doherty is just, he's just controlling that half-back line. Um, He was outstanding on the weekend, and I thought he was um, quite brilliant, actually. So, you know, if he's going to get that rate of disposals across half-back, and we have seen him, you know, when it was the uh, Kate Simpson and the Sam Doherty show, uh, it was the best correlation in AFL fantasy back then, like four, five, six years ago, whatever it was. Um and Doherty could score and that's you know, if he's controlling that half back line, I think the scoring rate is gonna be there. And if that's the case, you know, based on Whitfield's not scoring well at the moment as well, that he could be number one defenders. Thoughts on any one of those, Jeff?
1: Yeah, the Doherty one I like. Um he's a little bit out of my reach, but uh I'm looking at ways to get him in. Yeah, he they give him the ball because he's, you know, he's trusted with the ball in his hands, isn't he? So a lot, even when they were um, holding the ball up against Hawthorne at, at the death, there, um, it was a no-brainer to give it to Doherty because you know Doherty knows what to do. So that that happens at any time of a game, and they like the ball in his hands,
0: and and that obviously equates to fantasy points. Already notable low break Evans uh, that could be on the radar. So I'm just going to run you through a list here, Jeff, and just give me your thoughts on one or two of those. On one or two of these. So Nick Martin minus 31, Tristan Cherry at zero, Patrick Nace at one, Hugh Dixon at one, Nick Dacos at two, Willie Rioli at two, Corey Duden two, Reef McGinnis, two, Connor McDonald four, Braden Prue seven. So there's cash to be made there, Josh Ward eight. And Hugo, Ralph, Smith at eight. Thoughts on any one of those,
1: Um, Yeah, they're all doing their job. I don't think there's any surprises there. I just expect Nace to be dropped this week. Um, and hopefully Hugh Dixon's not dropped because he played really well against Rio. Um, but from a role point of view, I think he'll struggle to stay on the side.
0: Already notable players potentially dropping in salary on the radar to target soon. So we're going to look at players at a, a 130 plus break even. Already, so we go took Tuke Miller tagged last week 156, Jack McRae, 152, Jack Steele. Scores just haven't been there for Steele early on. Um, have, I've had a bit of a look into that and see what's going on with the Steele Steel scenario. And for me, you know, I could pretty much base it on, you know, last year with regards to Steele's high ceiling numbers is uh, he was moving out onto the wind to get those plus sixes. And he was, you know, the Saints were a little bit slow ball movement at stages. This year for St Kilda, it's a little bit dynamic. So Steele's getting overlooked and it's not really in that position to accumulate, you know, three or four disposals, which actually removes his ceiling. So it's really got to keep an interesting watch on that St Kilda game plan because that's not really conducive to a high ceiling Jack Steele scenario. Obviously, if they slow down the ball movement, uh, he's going to be back in there. But, you know, their ball movement at this stage doesn't really sort of play into their hands as Jack Steele... And, you know, most people spend up, you know, over a million dollars on a steal and they're just not getting the reward at this stage. So we'll see how that plays out for the next few weeks. But, yeah, just St. You know, singular dynamic ball movement is sort of taking away from Jack Steele at the moment. And Tom Mitchell, he's in the scenario with regards to Hawthorne, you know, having a lot of spread through that midfield. So therefore, it removes his ceiling. You know, it's a removing his 100-point game, So, yeah. which is really interesting. So it's 143 break, Evan. Roy Laird, now we spoke about the Adelaide uh, slow ball movement. And he's got no ownership. We know that BZ missed the. Of the season with a broken hand. So, again, when we talk about interrupted pre seasons, Rory Leeds actually in a good situation because it wasn't a soft tissue injury, wasn't an injury, wasn't groin, wasn't hamstring, it was just a hand. So, he's got his fitness right up there. So, if you're looking for a player with a high ceiling, and we know Adelaide are going to be playing a little bit of a slow ball movement game. For whatever reason, I don't know, but you know that's the the comments coming out of the coaching staff is that Rory Leg could be a bit of a point of difference there. Aaron Hall spoke about a, a kangaroo's um, conceding a stack of inside fifties, but you know the back of my mind, the back end of the season, does that bring in Miller Bergman and also Josh Goda across halfback, and does that put you know Aaron H- Aaron Hall's role in jeopardy altogether, so he's got to break even at 135. But there's no doubting, okay, um, there's no doubting the high ceiling games for Hall are right there. If the Kangaroos going to concede that many inside fifties, Callum Mills, not much ownership there. Obviously struggled through an interrupted pre-season, so he's at 133, low ownership there. Christian Petrarca, 132. Monster start of the season a bit quiet last week. Oliver got the ball and that's a scenario that's gonna happen from time to time at Melbourne. But you know, his high ceiling games are gonna just pay off quite significant, significantly. So he's at one thirty two break even at Cam Guthrie. You know, we talk about Geelong with regards to the efficient ball movement. Cam Guthrie at one thirty one break even, eight fifty, that's probably a, a salary too high. You know, if I was looking if we're talking about um evaluation of players and the Cam Guthrie at eight fifty Based on Geelong's ball movement, I would put him in lock like as 700 to 750 player. So 850k is too much for me. So thoughts on any one of those? Yep.
1: Yeah, uh, targeting McRae for sure because of you know his history, and I think Petrarca um, is up there as well. They're they're the two locks for me that are still top eight mids.
0: Alright, strong scoring output with an average of 115 plus. And it's going to roll you through a list here, Jeff. So, thoughts on any one of those? So, Andrew Brachel, obviously, you spoke to me at pre pod that, you know, it looks like he's got his running in his leg and he's getting to the ball. And, and you know, even Five comes back in and Monday comes back in, he's the, the number two in that midfield. He's just going to go to town. He did get tagged last week, which we did obviously identify, but he gets there in the end because the tag was dropped and he was just his gut running and it's just everything is about him is good. I think it's fantastic. So, he's. Uh, a very strong average to start the season. So Bailey Smith up there as well, a 131. Travis Boe, you know, no ownership there as well. And, and his scores have been there to start the season. But if you're talk, talking about his age, you know, what can he do over a period of a season? You know, there might be bring question marks into that. So he's strong to start the year with regards to his average. Patrick Cripps, obviously, we've discussed about that. He's just running through brick walls. Now, the interesting thing about Patrick Cripps on the weekend, I was interested to see what Hawthorne do, but they tried to nullify him. Now, in the first couple of minutes of that game, there was a boundary throw-in on the MCC side of the wing at the MCG, and I thought, what, what, what are Hawthorne going to do at this boundary throw-in to restrict Cripps? So I think it was Warple who was facing away from the ball, which is a free kick, but th- these don't get paid in, in stoppages, they never do, really. And he was facing away trying to push Crips away from the ball, and then Mitchell comes off the interchange bench. He runs straight into Crips and like just try like half the size of Cripps, Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. He runs up and he just like tries to push him away and it was like two on one and, and, and ever gets who gets the ball. It's still Cripps. So there's no one stopping this guy at the moment. Although I couldn't be more bullish on a player if I tried. So he's the start of the season, but I just I, I just wanted to see what you know Hawthorne did to him at Stoppages. And they put two players on him; they couldn't stop him. So, you know, if two players can't stop him, what's what's going to happen for the man of the season? Already got to move on here. Too much Patrick Cripps talk. Christian Petrarca, obviously a strong start of the season. 120. Ben Key's no ownership there in the top 25. 120. Team Toronto really low ownership there across the board. Highly ranked teams. Obviously, you know our thought process was he's going to spend a bit of time forward because Toby Green out suspended at the start of the year. But the scores are still being there for Toronto. It's really good, and but he's really top top level salary, and it's going to be hard. To get unless that salary comes down. So if you're really looking for unique, the player that can score is Tim Taranto, and obviously he's in full health. Lockie Neal was targeted last week, and obviously sort of got there towards the end and had an injury concern. And you know, I think I think you had him in the team. You were fearful that um, he was going to get uh, subbed out of the game, and it was actually in the realms yeah. of possibility of happening because you know the the. the the Lions were really in control, and I, was, I watched the Chris Fagan's interview, and they go, nah, yeah, strap it up, and you know, put him back out there. And Well, if that's the case, he's all fine, and, and he sort of got there in the end and put up a half-decent score. And then Tom Green, now, like his start to the, to the season has been outstanding for GWS. Now, the significant part is, I want to go back here to last year, and it was um, the injuries to the Essendon midfield that gave the opportunity to Darcy Parrish, and we've seen Darcy Parrish, I think it was about 5.50 to start last year. I mean, he's just solid season. was just just exploded. Now, Green is up about 150k to start the year. Now, again, it's a bad opportunity. And that opportunity without hopping that team is right there for uh, Tom Green. So I think he's going to put up strong numbers there. He's still a target for me and obviously um, a target for many others this week. And Josh Dunkley. Um, he's in that midfield. And the one thing you talk about a lot, and that's the, the contract narrative, he's out of contract at the end of this year. So... Uh, and especially in a couple of years ago, with, with regards to he wanted out of the the Bulldogs because of his lack of midfield time, and that's when Bevo was putting him in the rack, and it was just it was all out of control. He's a little bit headless with him. is so that he's in that midfield at a high rate, and he's, and he should be there until they contract the sign. So from the point of view of the those people that own Josh Dunkley, you want that contract signed at the end of the year because as soon as that contract signed, who knows what Bevo is going to do? So probably not the scenario, but. But you just really got to keep it in mind is that, you know, if, if it, the longer he holds out, it's probably got to be beneficial because he's going to be riding those uh, centre bounces. Thoughts on any one of those, Jeff? Uh,
1: more to who to target. Um, <clears throat> obviously, there's some popular players there, but interestingly, like you said, just highlighting, Tim Taranto, hardly owned, obviously costs a bomb, but hardly owned in the top 25%, and even really in the top... 5,000 um, of coaches right now. So he's one that you can get a jump on that's low ownership and you can pretty much guarantee is going to be a top six forward.
0: Alrighty, we're going to get onto a few listener requests. So thank you for sending those in. Got a stack of those this week. So uh, from Jeppa and for me, uh, very much appreciated you sending those in on a weekly basis. We try, try to cover... Uh, those off throughout the podcast if we don't we chuck them in this section to cover off and sometimes we double up for just a final thought okay so we're going to do a 37 patch to finish off this uh, finish off this podcast so let's get into it i'll try not not to hold you up too much here jack with some thoughts but you know we've got a lot of players to run through here so just a just a quick like or dislike and if you want to stop on a couple we can so jack hayes for me it's a dislike now he could be on the adder at any stage dislike for me
1: yeah, just like as well, you you you've got to run him on the bench um, until uh, obviously he gets dropped.
0: James Sisley. so the scoring rate has been actually too strong for me at this stage. For me, it's just a it's just just straight up a pure like.
1: Yeah, like as well. Got there with a big third quarter though. Um, can be
0: volatile with his scoring still. Neil Erasmus, I still like uh, some players to come in back into that free manal team, but yeah, for me, I like.
1: No, I like it too. High centre bounce usage, which will probably fade with Monday coming back, but showed a lot of good signs for first play, uh, first game. Uh, Matt Rail, the
0: role's still there, and I think the scoring will eventually come as well. I like. Uh, it.
1: Dis- yeah, I, I dislike. I think um, he, there were some dubious um, tackles given to him in his third as well. I was watching him closely, and um, if you need thirteen tackles to get to a, a score in the eighties, it's a dislike.
0: Uh, Jack Sinclair he's just running through that midfield and he's pretty much collecting positions at will so for me it's a, actually it's a really big like year for Jack Sinclair it's a dislike for me only because the players I target now like that would I'd
1: want for the whole year as a top 6 defender and I still don't think he's a top 6 defender
0: Matt Crouch, uh, again, Adelaide's slow ball movement, so I'm going to put him right in a like. And you know, for me, obviously interrupt pre- interrupted pre-seasons puts question marks on him. But I think you know, if Adelaide are going to slow down their ball movement, it's a big like here for me.
1: Uh, I'm going to say dislike for now, but yeah, it, it, that could change. I, uh, I just never seen Matt Crouch as a 110 plus midfielder.
0: Nick Blakey. I don't mind it. Justin McInerney's to come back into that team. You can have one uh, one flank, you can have Nick Blakey. and the other flank, you can have Justin McInerney and Lloyd in the middle distributing to either. So there's a there's a bit of a distribution about to happen with Blakey. I don't mind it, and he can score. So for me, I'm going to sit on the side of the fence of liking.
1: Dislike for me because I don't believe he'll score consistently.
0: Max scoring. Now... A lot of people are trading out Max Scorn if they if they had started within to get onto a different structure, but eventually that's going to turn into very low ownership towards the back end of the year. So for me, that point of view based on low ownership, I do like, but it's just about the time you're getting into that team for me to.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not going to look at ever trading Max Scorn. Um, I feel like he's not playing well and still scoring, obviously low hundreds or. 80 plus, so um, it's coming.
0: The one thing that you hit on pre pod for me is just reminded what we have talked about previously on this podcast is that once we get into the middle of winter and we start to get slower grounds, wet ball, and that, you know, the the heady outs come back and the repeat stoppages come back and those big scoring rucks sort of take over middle of the year.
1: Yeah, and and the same goes for Grundy, which, um, you know, both Grundy and Gorn are big likes for me still.
0: Okay, Took Miller tagged last week, but I'd still big like there for me. No, no, yeah, he's he still likes, just um, they went hard at him and for obvious reasons. Darcy Burn jones uh, volatile scoring. He can score, but too volatile for me. Uh, turns it over a stack as well, so, so yeah, interesting there for me. Dislike. Dislike as well. Luke Foley, I still don't mind the pick. I'm going to sit on the side of the fence of liking here.
1: Uh dislike now, if you don't own him, don't don't target him, but if you're an owner, just hold.
0: Jordan Dawson. So yes, there's gonna be a little bit of midfield time, but if he can hang off that half back flank, you know, he's gonna move up in the forward and that wing and uh, his scores can be there. Um, they, he got there late last week, obviously goal after the sign to win the game for LA was really good, gave him an extra plus nine for actually not being involved in that contest. So it was it was plus nine bonus points. Uh, but for me, uh, with regards to Adelaide's uh, slow ball movement, and he was a target last week from the highly ranked coaches, I, I was one of those who actually traded Dawson in, so for me, I'm actually liking.
1: Yeah, I think he's got a lot to offer, and I think the, as he looks more comfortable, doesn't he, With as each week goes with his new team, so it's a big like.
0: Uh, He's just on a different level. I think he's uh, pretty much A-grade talent for Adelaide, so you can just tell that quite easily with regards to him in and and around the contest. So, yeah, A-grade talent right there for Jordan Dawson. So, Zach Zach Williams, Adam hard to come back into that team. Zach Williams, depending on the role he gets, if he ever gets a shutdown role, that scoring is just not going to be there. Um, Volatile scoring for me, I'm going to say dislike. Dislike as well. Josh Kelly, you know, if he's out of those centre bounces, the scoring could be quite volatile, Um, He still can get there, but he's just not part of that link chain at the moment with regards to GWS ball movement. So scoring's drying up a little bit, but I still like the pick. Yeah, I still like it as well. Josh Rosselli. So this is about timing when you trade him out. Is it time to move off Josh Rosselli at the moment? For me, I would pretty much hold maybe one, maybe two. But for those who have got no other option but to trade him out, I wouldn't be saying no to that this week, Chip.
1: Yeah, I agree with that com- completely. So if if you need his cash to do something else, or, you know, make an upgrade or whatever it is, then then do it.
0: Jai Simpkin. So we've seen Taryn Thomas out of that team last week. We've seen Luke Davies-Uniaki out of that team last week. Uh, and that midfield for North Melbourne was just overwhelmed. But, you know, Davies-Uniaki back into the team this week, it should help out Jai Simpkin. I still don't mind the picture. No,
1: I, I sort of changed my mind on this after... Watching North get flogged, if if that's going to happen every now and then, um, then Simpkins' scores is, is going to be pretty hindered, so dislike.
0: Patrick Nash, so a stack of Eagles players to come out of that team. You know, where does Simpson finally finally settle? Now it's really interesting. We haven't really been able to get a gauge on where Simpson sees that team because they made some structural changes over the off-season and some game plan tweaks, and and we actually haven't seen it in in, in progress at this stage of any game whatsoever. Not even in preseason because the injuries that were brutalized over this preseason for the for the West Coast. So, you know, where does he sit in this scenario? Um, who knows? What are your thoughts, there?
1: Uh, I think he's going to be dropped this week, actually. Uh, it, the the wingman, typical wingman will be Gaff and um, and Luke Edwards, I believe. So looks like Nash will be on the outer. But he, he does turn the ball over a lot. and yeah. Uh, so owners, just be prepared.
0: Daniel Rioli off half-pack for the Tigers. I don't mind a pick, but the scoring can be volatile, so just be prepared.
1: Uh, yeah, dislike for me. Um, two up and
0: down. Nathan Broad now his scores have actually been quite solid, so it's definitely off off the wall type of peak. Um, how much trust can you put in a defender? I think there's just too many other defenders that are scoring well. Uh, that we you know I think paying out for a little bit more for quality reliable defenders is the better option here. So for that reason, I'm saying dislike on before. but his scoring has actually been pretty good.
1: Yeah, dislike. He's been around a while now, and he's never really showed a consistent family uh, fantasy game. So,
0: dislike. Tristan Cherry. he's shown nothing other than to say that he's still number one at North Melbourne. So, for me, I like the picture.
1: Yeah, I'm very much like.
0: Uh, Jack McRae. So, uh, if you want to talk about this and what you think Jack McRae's upcoming, I still like the pick.
1: Yeah, very much like it. It's it, like he's the discounted premium. I'll be jumping on first. He's. He's got a pretty good month coming up with a lot of soft matchups. So um, let's see how they play out against Richmond this week. But then after that, they got North Melbourne, Adelaide, Essendon, and Port Adelaide. So that's a pretty handy month in my opinion. Um, and I feel like that it'll be the time to jump if for non-owners.
0: Dry Caldwell. Now we've said all pre-season that he's going to be number four slash five at the centre bounces, and Zach Merrick goes out, and all of a sudden he's number five. Uh, Andrew McCard comes in, which is what I thought would have happened, and he came in, but he didn't come in as a ball winner, he came in as a tag so really interesting to see what Rutten did last week, and obviously we, we both forecast that Stringer was coming into that midfield, so that dynamic is actually hurting call but the scores have actually been really good I've been really impressed with what, the way he can get it done, but is that going to last? Is that a, you know, a small sample size, uh, straight into the start of the season, he can have Solid scoring, but if that starts to dry up, you know, where do people sit? So for me, I'm, I said last week, dislike, so I'm sticking, to hold strong. Uh, and this is based on, you know, how much uh, inside midfield usage he's going to get. But his scores has actually still been there, and his tackle rate's been pretty solid. As so long as he's in that stoppages around the ground, he can still get there. Uh, but for me, uh, based on his uh, center bounce usage, uh, it's still a dislike.
1: Yeah, I'm actually known, and I'm starting to dislike dislike it a bit. I know they got, you know, they're playing the best midfield in the comp, but his his decisions, he he made a lot of mistakes, and his clean hands, well, fumbling, let him down a bit. So, I think the coaches will see that, and and he'll still maintain his fifth in line in the CBAs, and that doesn't help anyone.
0: Uh, Nathan O'Driscoll scoring wasn't there last week unfortunately for O'Driscoll so for me I'm just going to say dislike for the time being I don't mind it longer term but yeah I was hoping for you know 60, 70 maybe even 80 last week and it just wasn't
1: there Yeah so was I I ran ran him at D6 last week knowing he was playing the Eagles and was hoping he would get a bit of hunger and and get some confidence up but watching him off the ball I was obviously at the ground and um, didn't have the hunger to, to you know on the wing between wing and on ball didn't really have the hunger to command the ball. Um, whether that's his role or not, or that's his demeanour, I'm, I'm not sure. So that's a bit of a concern. I still like it as a cash gen for the next few weeks.
0: Uh, Jack Bailey. so um, he's a small lockdown defender, but at the moment no Salem in that team. So therefore, you know, the longest Salem's out of that team, he could be winning a little bit of ball. So for me, long term, I don't like the peak. For the short term, you could get a bit of a sugar hit, which is great. But, you know, when is that going to end? You know, Levers to come back into that team this week. Does that change a little bit of a dynamic with regards to who's controlling that ball out of the back line? Not too sure. We'll have to see. But that back line dynamic will change over the next few weeks, which does include Salem coming in. So do you want to bring Dowie in at this stage with regards to, you know, there could be some lockdown roles coming up in the second half of the season or in a few weeks' time when that back line is settled for Melbourne? For me, for that reason, I'm saying dislike
1: I like, and what I really noticed about him against Essen, he wants the ball, and is is like opposite to what Driscoll is, commanding the ball, wanted it, wanted it, even though he didn't get it. So I think scores will come from that, and I like it. But you know, and this is in a situation where you're trying to eliminate the d6 in terms of a rook or being McCartan, Driscoll, mm even a Skinner in some cases, or a Kipkus, or whoever it is. So in that instance, that's where I like it. Yep. You're not obviously going to target him um, for any reason other than that.
0: Already, Lockie Whitfield, scores just haven't been high ceiling at this stage. I think he'll get there eventually and post a couple of high ceiling games, and obviously then most people will be looking for him. But he's still at a reasonable salary there, Jip, and he's still quite obtainable for many that do not own, which is would be very few. I think he's quite highly owned in that top 25. I still like the peak and in fact I love the pitch still yeah I like it so you're still taking kick outs as well now, Will Day, uh, Jack Scrimshaw injured on the weekend, but the diagnosis has been not too bad. So for those thinking that Scrimshaw is going to be locked out of that team for a little bit of time, that's not going to happen. So therefore, it's the one player that I looked at it initially was, okay, Scrimshaw's out, and then he's a bit of a ball winner and a bit of a distributor of halfback and out of D50 for the Hawks. And, you know, that brought Will Day, and my thinking on Sunday night is, like you know, and i find a scenario and find some conviction to bring Will Day in and my thought process was, process was just to wait for the diagnosis for scrimshaw because if it had been long term Will Day would have been high on my radar because, you know, with Sicily in there, GF in there, you how many distributors from D50 do you want? So, therefore, Scrimshaw is another one. You know, if it was Day coming in as the third third one, that's okay. But if he's the fourth one, I'm still really not liking it. So, Scrimshaw is not long-term, so, therefore, I'm not liking their will-day peak. I was nearly there Sunday night, but I'm not there
1: now. Uh, no, I still like it. I think even if he doesn't play half-back, he play a wing. Um, and I like it for the same reason I like Jake Bowie, obviously. So, um, it's to to get the leg up at the D6 spot.
0: Yep. Okay, on to Noah Anderson. So, you know, for, for the, the sun's going to be efficient ball movement, so Anderson's you know doesn't have that high ceiling, consistent ceiling over a long period of time uh, for me to dislike him. Dislike, yep. Aaron Hall. So, you know, back end of the season, could we see Miller Bergman in? Could we see Josh Grota in? You know, how strong is Hall in that team? And he, he actually put in a couple of really poor spots in that Kangaroos team on Saturday night, and and Noble went off his head on that presser. So I've got to imagine there's change coming to that North Melbourne team. I don't think it's Hall initially, but I put him well and truly on that radar the back end of the season. Because don't forget, the Kangaroos in a rebuild mode, so therefore they're not thinking short term. They're thinking long term, and you know Hall's up there in age, so he's not long term. But You know, he can find the ball plenty across half-back, so his high ceiling is there. I still love the peak at high ceiling, but his high price tag as well. He's going to come down in salary now with regards to low scoring output uh, recently. But... You know, if we get him a cheap price and he still looks like he's locked into that team, I think he's a target really quickly. But just got to, I'm just in the back of my mind is that what is going to happen to that North Melbourne team with regards to development and what kids they want to play towards the back end of the year? And you know, Noble was in there forecasting change, and he, he did say in that press on the weekend we're got to find out who wants to be in, in there and who wants to be who doesn't want to be in there. So yeah, I think a lot of players are on on watching that North Melbourne team. You know, whether Hall's part of that process or whatever, busy did put in a couple of thinker's efforts on Saturday night. So for me, I've just got my radar well and truly up on his situation.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really valid point you make about the long-term and how North Melbourne go. I, I think you've banged on here. Um, so, yeah, it's a dislike for me. I, I, I'm going to wait till it plays out post-buying and reassess with all.
0: And at any end, a problem, my decision... Based on Hall would be pretty much priced. because if you could offer me Aaron Hall right now at 650, I am I'm not even thinking about it. I, I'd take the risk on board with regards to you know any potential out, which I don't think is going to happen yeah. at the moment. But you know, Noble's put pretty much the entire playing group he played on Saturday night on lit, on on notice. So you know that's if he's put everyone on notice. That means Hall's included in that. Whether he is or he isn't, I don't know. But the fact is now it's come, going to come down at price. You know, if he's at 900k, no way. But if he's at 800k, it's question mark. If he's in that 600 range, yeah, I'm, I'm targeting and I'm taking on board the rest that I just mentioned as well. So just yeah, keep on mind. And his high ceiling and Kangaroos giving up all those in the inside 50s, that is just plays right in the hands of Aaron Hall, and we've seen what what he could do last year. Okay. Alrighty, so let's move on. Angus Bradshaw's now. The thing with Brayshaw listening to um. Simon Goodwin and his presser was that you know that the game pressed up in certain parts of the ground and that meant that Angus Brayshaw was let loose out onto wing and he just found so much of it. And he like it was I think it was over twenty marks or something ridiculous like that and he just put up one fifty six points or there thereabouts. Um, is that going to happen every week? Well, my straight answer is just straight up no. So from that point of view, uh, inconsistent scoring and he plays that wing role and he sometimes just runs up and guts run cut runs up and down the opposing wind to. Uh, Ed Langdon as well. So, you know, it was his opportunity last week. It not not necessarily mean that that's going to happen every week. It might, but I don't think it's going to happen, Chip.
1: Uh, yeah, no, dislike for me. Pretty pretty straightforward in the long game with that.
0: Uh, Tim English, for me, I still like this pick.
1: Yeah, we've we touched on him. He um very much liked the pick. He, he's a top six forward, in my opinion, now.
0: Pat Lipinski, now the scoring has been volatile to start the season. So... You know, are those uh, coaches with Lipinski in their team, is uh, they got itchy trigger fingers to, to pull a move somewhere else, the potential is that that is the scenario that's going to happen. I still don't mind the peak, but you know, when, when you've got Cripps rolling off monster scores that are not too much higher price tag, you know, Lipinski just under where Cripps is at, you know, you, you've got to be making that move and to find Cripps in your team rather than Lipinski. So there are other options out there and other players out there crushing it, whereas Lipinski is putting out volatile scores. From that point of view, like I don't mind it, but from that point of view, I'm going to save this. Like,
1: uh, I'm an I know that's got a trigger finger, but then I saw he plays West Coast this week, so let's give it another week and reassess. But what's frustrating with Lipinski is his tackle numbers. Um, he, he did get four tackles on the weekend against Geelong, but um, hopefully he can keep that up for the for the rest of the year and and get in amongst it. It's um, it's I think he likes the soft matchups. That's
0: what I read into him early on. Okay, Jade Gresham. A couple of things on Gresham. Yeah, he's inside that midfield, odd out minor, but long-term he's a forward midfield, so he's in there at a high rate. The Saints have a few issues with regards to midfielders being available in that team, but that, that doesn't sound like it's going to be resolved in the short term. On the other point of view, is that his tackle rate's not just not there, and if those marks are down there, and you know if he has a, a disposal game which is really low, he can put up a really poor score, so... I still think there's volatile scoring here, Jep. So for me, that from that point of view, I, mean, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, I'm a big dislike on Gresham. I don't think he's got a high ceiling um, to even begin with to, as a mid-price to get you those scores. So
0: dislike. Uh, Sam DeConning, so the question is, you know, is he going to be playing that team? Last quarter, last week, he was moved forward and he, or in the second half of that game, he's moved forward. So therefore, you know... Has you know, he moved away from that defensive role with regards to he can take a lot of intercept marks and, and get those scores ticking along? Uh, he's had a bit of an interrupted and not-so-friendly start to the season with regards to his availability early in the year. You know, and Does he make that round three, uh, round four, round five, round six team, and is he unimpeded to put up some scores? Don't know yet, but we'll have to wait to see if that flushes out. I still don't mind that pick. I don't think it's time to move off uh, Sam DeConning yet. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, yes, obviously a hold, but I'm nervous he keeps his spy. He did have a couple of really important touches when he was in the forward half in that last quarter, just, just mm. quietly.
0: Mm. Uh, Paddy McCartan, so scores just haven't been there recently. So, you know, those that are rolling with McCartan at F5, oh, sorry, D5 or D6, you know, getting a little bit nervous with regards to, you know, they could be expecting 60 or 70. So for me, I'm getting a little bit uh, trigger happy here with McCartan. So for me, it's starting to lean towards dislike here, Jet.
1: No, it's dislike for me as well. He's got to be a bench player
0: only. And Todd Mitchell uh, as well here. So, you know, if we're not going to see even 100 scores yet, he's going to dip monster monster price. So that that's going to be incoming. So, you know, yeah, Ward's in there at a high rate on the weekend, and yeah, Harvey said he wants to settle that down with regards to what's happening through that midfield. But, you know, the Hawks do have a stack of players going through that midfield. You know, we could re- reel off six or seven, and I think they had eight at center bounces last week. So if Mitchell's going to be part of that crew, and O'Meara there as well, and Warpole and Nash in there, who he's matching up on there as well, you got Ward in there, you got Warpole. I mean, that's just going to only hurt um, Tom Mitchell. Now, the other thing that came out over preseason, which we discussed with Hawthorne, is that they want to run the ball more efficiently. So, I mean, this is probably the same scenario as Jack Steele, is that it, it, they're not going out on the wing to receive their plus sixes anymore. Because that ball is coming straight through the middle of the ground. The ball movement is more dynamic this year. So, those players who used to get the easy plus sixes on the outside because of the slow ball movement, it's not happening anymore. So, Mitchell's in that range, and if those centre bounces are not there, good lord, what price could he drop to? So, let's see how that flushes out with regards to his salary over the next few weeks. I just don't like this peak right now.
1: Yeah, and no, a massive dislike for me. Um, one of the pre season predictions I've actually got right up.
0: Okay, and you wanted to throw this one here to finish off the podcast with. Was it the Proust to play at R2, R3 discussion? So off you go,
1: Yeah, look, I, I feel like the Proust at R3 is a bit of a
0: waste,
1: um, personally, because effectively he's there to, to generate cash at R3 and, and not much else. So um, can you get better cash cows around, and and this is still to play out because we don't know who's coming into the sides and, and who's getting named, but at the moment I feel like the R3 proofs play is the incorrect one. Um, I don't mind the R2 proofs play, but um, I would be trading Grundy to do it, not Gorn, which is not what I've seen amongst the, the trends at the moment, amongst the community, so um, I keep that in mind. I just feel like I'm both a Gorn and Grundy owner. Um, I've got the jewel the set and forget set up. And um, I, at this stage, I'm not targeting Pruce at all, um, which is keep you know, obviously makes me nervous, but I definitely would not be targeting Pruce at R3. It's just too much money at this point to have any bench where you can reinvest it. Like I can actually make a primo upgrade this week, um, the way my team is. So I, I'm going to stick to that instead of chasing you know, what sounds like a lot of coaches going after Proust for um, for some cash generation on the bench. But then if there's a lot of coaches ca- um, chasing Proust at R2, well, then I'll, I'll play my Gorn and Grundy against your Proust at R2 quite happily. So I just thought I'd throw that in there at the end because there's quite a lot of angst and question marks about this move and what the play is. My personal opinion is is what I've just said. And, and you know, I could change. i get cold feet if I feel like I'm missing out. So, um, But I'm definitely not doing the Proust at R3 move, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, the R3, I, I sort of agree with that. I mean, but if you've got nothing else to do and you've got the spare cash, uh, for me, you can chuck him on R3. But from R2 or just putting Proust on the ground, I think this is an absolute smash play. I think if you can get him on, if you want to restructure a little bit, I think that's you go, it's a green light. I think this is a big smash play. Um, it's rare that I come out and say something's a smash play, and, and generally i not a bad record with regards to that. Um, but I think this is just, I think it's bread and Bruce's time. I think he's going to be there based on. What Leon Cameron's saying is that, you know, we're going to get a month of this. And, and again, the Giants have started one and two. They need to get back on the right side of the ledger. And based on what Matt Flynn, he got pushed around in round two against Nancurvis and Soldo. And in round three, Bruce just dominated. Like he was just smashed. So I can foresee Bruce averaging uh, the same as Grundy over the next four weeks. And if that's the case, you know, it, it's not even a question mark for me. If you want to just put it down to pure maths. Um, and projections and 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 value in that. If if Grundy and Proust average the same over the next four weeks, this is absolutely a no-brainer. We'll see. You know, it might not even play out like that. Is it? You know, Bruce, you know, Flynn might come in for a bit of a help with regards to a uh, split ruck roll. So therefore, Proust's um, scores will go down. But based on what Grundy is outputting at the moment, and based on what Proust could do, uh, I think this is actually pretty much a smash play. So a big green light for me. So it's a little bit opposed to what you're thinking there, Chip. Any final thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, It's I, I like the discussion and I, I like well, it, it sounds like the majority is bringing in Proust this week so uh, yeah, at the moment my strategy is just to make an upgrade in my midfield and keep the points on the field and, and like I said, I'm, I'm quite happy to run because I
0: don't need to trade
1: um, in the area. I'll run Grundy or Gorn against Proust quite comfortably.
0: Yeah, and it's not as if, like in your position there, it's not as if you couldn't do that next week as well. If you go, yeah. oh, you're not another week of data and you go, oh, hang on a sec, I'm paying, I'm paying, you know, 850 or whatever grundy is for a price, and then I can get, you know, Bruce at 470 or whatever price is going to be next week. I mean, you you can still bank some money there and put that another midfielder on field. And if you go in a week's time, well, wow, I've got this extra data to say, you know, Bruce is the go, you know, you, you're right in a situation where you could change your mind with regards to, you know, upgrading another midfield or defender, or if you've got some issues at D6, you go up to a primo, and all of a sudden you're matching everyone with that Bruce pick. Now, the other thing there is that Bruce is highly owned in up top 25 at the moment. He's 80%, so, you know, and most I would presume most of those that actually started with Bruce in their starting squad, so uh, full credit to those people there, and if you have started with that scenario, uh, full credit to you, and, and I hope that just completely pays off. Um, and the other thing I just want to remind you, Jeb, is a couple of years ago, well, I think it was a 2019 champion uh, for overall rank, Um what it was is that uh, Sam Jacobs, if you remember, early in the year, I think it was round two, yeah. round three, was injured, and the winner of overall, and it was unique to everyone else who finished high, mostly most people high ranked that year, is that the move was made from uh, Sam ja- or whoever the ruckman that they started at the time, I, I don't think it was Sam Jacobs, but they moved um, Rolly O'Brien on field. Uh, and he just smashed it, and it was the move of the season. It's the one thing that will always stick in with me with regards to, you know, what the overall winners do to differentiate themselves from the rest of the field, and that one just stands out, like no tomorrow, what um, that overall winner did for the year. It was the move, and it was the start on field, uh, Riley O'Brien, who now... We sort of put in a scenario as a top rank, uh, top handful rank ranked ruckmen in AFL fantasy. The move was made early, and a move was made, um, and it claimed an overall title. So what can you do to finish off the year and decisions you make on a week-by-week week scenario? I um, mean, I don't think this one to uh, differentiate yourself from the rest of the field, because most people are already there anyway on Proust. And if not, most people aren't already there. They're going to Bruce this week. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be too fearful of downgrading a big ruck because that has been done before, and that has been done before to win an overall title, chip.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that Riley O'Brien scenario does stand out. I think a few played O'Brien at R3 for the cash gen as well. Um, and it was a similar price, I think a little bit cheaper from memory. So, look, I'm not saying my strategy is right. It's just it, my strategy is different to, to the majority. Um, and I'm not saying that my strategy entails that Proust is going to fail. I'm not saying that at all. My strategy is, well, I've got other areas where I can make an upgrade that I feel is more beneficial than Proust right now. That's what I'm getting at. So, everyone, I just feel like, everyone or most are getting short-sighted by getting in Proust because, you know, they're fearful of missing out and all the rest of it. But, again, I'm happy to play Gordon and Grundy against your Proust for now. Um, or, or, you know, when I say your, are I mean the majority of. Um, but if there's
0: other moves you can make,
1: maybe you should make those as well.
0: See, I, I don't even mind, like I'm obviously bullish on proves, but I don't even mind holding on the Gorn and Grundy scenario because there's only, in the top 25, there's only two coaches that own that combination, Jep. So we, we talk a lot about on this podcast ownership and, and I talk about, you know, the wall of coaches in front of you with regards to, the, you know, they've got most of your team. So how are you going to bypass that? So a way that you can bypass that from your position, Jep, is that if you hold on to Gorn and Grundy, you know that that's that's actually turning into a unique option at the moment because not, yeah. many, not many have got there. So you know, kind know what I'm getting at. This yeah. is what I
1: mean. So like, while the trend is towards Bruce, I'll hold mm. with maybe five percent, ten percent of others. Um, I'll make an upgrade in the this week where others won't be, and I feel like I'm potentially going to get a jump. But, again, I, I, that might be very optimistic from my point of view, and it might sting me in about a month's time when Bruce tops out and I don't have other rooks generating as much cash as he is because they're few and far between. Mm. But at the moment, that's the direction I'm taking, and... Yeah, like you said, the uniqueness part it's weird that we're saying that a Gorn and Grundy combo could be a unique combo to start twenty twenty two in AFL fantasy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't even mind if you're gonna do one, is it to to get off Grundy and to hold Gorn because, you know, he's he would be even you know, he's only sixteen percent owned in that top twenty five, whereas, you know, Grundy's up at seventy two percent, so uh, well, so.
1: Grundy Grundy plays West Coast this week, so I'm for for taking more marks in that
0: game because Nick that won't be able to
1: go with him. And then um, Gorn plays Port Adelaide, where or Lycett, like Gorn will sit behind the ball. So as long as they're pressuring the ball handler or ball carrier or whoever's got the ball, Gorn's going to take quite a few marks. So Adelaide Oval as well. But we've seen Gorn struggle putting two hands to the ball to take a grab. So... Yeah, short term look look at it and let's see how it plays out. But I love like obviously the Proust play is is right in a in a lot of ways. I don't don't want to say oh you pick, don't pick Pruce that's a silly move. I'm not saying that. I'm looking at it from a different perspective. That's all I'm getting at.
0: Definitely. So unique is fine. I love unique and obviously. Um making unique decisions is, is what's going to differentiate you between the rest of the field at the end of the year. And that's what it is, Jeff, because you're trying to find a way to climb rank. You know, if if Proust does fail, which, you know, anyone can fail uh, through all matter of scenario. So if Proust does fail, is it, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the top 10,000, I reckon 70%, 80% of those are on Proust now. Is it, you know, that all of a sudden that puts you a bit of a leg up and you can some claim some points over a period of time. Um, and those that are going to produce, uh this week potentially have to find another trade for him another week. So you, there's two trades that you're going to be using up on him at some stage this year, unless he goes through the season and he just smashes it. So we'll see how that goes. Alright, Jeff, so that's it. So final thoughts ahead, ahead of round four.
1: Uh, yeah, plan ahead, obviously. We, I, I just like to remind everyone of that. And and yeah, enjoy enjoy the strategy. Make sure your captains are picked and and vice-captains in that loophole is sorted. Uh, don't uh, be surprised if a few bench players and rooks are dropped this week either.
0: Yeah, just unique uh, vice-captain option for me. So I reiterated uh, for my lack of des- conviction on decisions last week, it actually just cost me in the end 50 or 60 points or whatever. But yeah, just uh, go with a bit of conviction. Um, I wouldn't mind uh, for those that are trying to chase up a little bit few points but you've got a double hit. So if you can find like a uh, scenario. If you if you've got a Gorn this week, Chip, so you're in that scenario where you're keeping Gorn. Imagine if you just put the V C on Gorn and all of a sudden it smashes out of one thirty and then all of a sudden, you know, people are trading out Gorn and then you've just got in for a VC. so that's a really dub- yeah. you double you can actually almost double down on your unique, um your unique path this season for holding the Gorn and Grundy scenario. So double down on it. Potentially that's an option for you. So for me it's just, you know, being a little bit more conviction with regards to your V C option. Uh, it's a double hit, so potentially, you know, obviously, the pressure rises when your 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 first hit fails, and most of us got in that scenario last week. Um, and yeah, obviously, you plan ahead. You know, you reminded early everyone early in the podcast to you know late-breaking news and you know, holding a trade potentially as well. So that's always in the realms of possibilities this year as well, especially this year. Um, obviously, monitoring news there as well. And again, a simple game plan right now. It's really simple. We're target- targeting low-break events. We're trying to generate some money off some of these players. Um, and you really got to identify who's best 22. You don't want a player coming in for a debut and then they're a sub the next week or in that sub scenario. So... You know, this is why you and I are really specific about the players coming in, you know, if a one ninety player is coming in, it's not it's not automatic anymore. It's not we're playing a different game than what we were uh this time last well this time a couple of years ago because a one ninety player means you know you're in the team and you're playing, but that's not the scenario anymore because you could be you know and we sent it last year, players name for a debut and then they'll well you're starting as a sub. So that's also a scenario where we've got to watch out with regards to to debut news um, with regards to their starting sub or starting on ground. Um, so keep in mind that as well. Um, they need to be locked in for Best 22, you would at least think, for two to three weeks for minimum, uh, for the absolute minimum. So um, And again, this year, and I think it'll play out this way, Jep, is it to have deep bench cover. Um, all right, Jep, that's it for Episode 124. Uh, good luck for everyone for the rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for being a part of the podcast, Jep.
1: Thanks, guys.